Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty, live in the Morton studio. Today we're going to be talking a little about when's the best time to buy fertilizer. Now, I'm not going to promise you that I got the perfect answer here, but we're going to talk a little about the history of that and then talk about fertilizer prices and... I I hate to use the words how to save money with fertilizer, but at least maybe spending your fertilizer dollars in the best way that gives you the best possible return on investment. So we're going to get to all that on today's show. If you've got any questions for us, you can certainly give us a call, 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. You can send us an email, radio at agphd.com if you'd like to, or you can find us on Twitter, agphdmedia, Darren Hefty or Brian Hefty. So my brother Darren should be joining us later in the show today. He's out talking to a couple of groups of farmers today. I did the same thing the last couple of days. I talked to six different groups of farmers, and uh, all up and down the west side of the state of Minnesota. Had a lot of questions about resistant weeds and just weed control in general. It's It seems like it's getting more challenging. So especially as... Around the southern part of the state of Minnesota, we have a lot of people asking, well, is dicamba working as well as it used to? Is 2,4-D working as well as it used to? Because it doesn't seem like we're doing as good a job killing the same weeds. But the thing that I kind of come back to is, all right, when you're trying to spray these newer products on Extend or Enlist Beans, they're telling you to use great big droplets, and I understand why, okay? We're, we're, we talk about drift all the time and keeping things on target. But the flip side of that is when you have great big droplets, you have worse spray coverage. And then if you want to compound things, if you're spraying bigger weeds, they're just going to be a little bit harder to control. So it, it does become a challenge, and that's where we tell people, look, there's I don't know of any weed in Minnesota in crops like corn, soybeans, and wheat, that we can't kill. But if you don't start with a good pre-emerge herbicide program and consider some very early in the season residual herbicides, well, yeah, I, I mean, it's going to be it's going to be a real struggle trying to get those things with a total post or mostly post program now that the weeds do seem to be gaining more tolerance, if not even resistance. All right, we're going to go to the phone lines right now. Got Kelly calling in from North Dakota. Kelly, I'm actually glad you called in here because I was just looking at your soil tests, and uh, you sent me a book here, but that's fine. I I, I like having all the information. Why don't uh, Why don't you start us out by just telling us kind of what, what your basic problem is and what your question is with your soil tests? Yeah, you bet, Brian. Thanks for taking my call. Um, yeah, I just tried to meet you halfway because I know you guys put a lot of effort and thought given these recommendations. So, uh, and a lot of that data that I was able to pick, I sort of learned from you guys on uh, how to test. So my situation is I have a, uh, some land under uh, pivot irrigation, and this past fall uh, we were sort of uh, disappointed in our yields and did more soil tests, and we found that we had an elevated base saturation of sodium that ranged from 10% to 15%, and subsequent testing of our irrigation water also revealed a high SAR around 7 to 7.5. So we think we're getting the sodium from our irrigation water. 
we are uh, considering uh, tiling. We, we haven't gotten there yet. We're in the middle of sort of coordinating that, working on what's it called, the 1026, 1086, what have you. In the meantime, I am looking for soil amendment recommendations uh, for fall versus spring. Uh, I have a local lime source, although I've, I've gotten mixed um, recommendations on that. So I'm wondering if I should use lime, uh, gypsum, or elemental fall versus spring in application rates. So I'll let you take it from there. Okay. So we're talking Western North Dakota here. What do you figure you normally get for average annual rainfall? I'm just curious. 12 yep. inches, 14? Four, I'd say 14. Okay. And, uh, yep. And, and how much water are you irrigating with on average, would you say? How many inches are you putting on each year? Just roughly. Yep, great question. So my, my first test that I sent you on the soil test had not received irrigation water yet and then in the month between the two sets of end of june beginning of august we irrigated 5.2 sure. uh, acre feet yep okay so here's here's i guess why i'm kind of asking those questions yeah it does look to me like it's very possible your water is giving you some some real problems with that sodium because when i see soil tests that show me 12%, 8% sodium. I, I mean, it, it, it that is absolutely limiting your yield. So the first thing that you asked is what soil amendment could I use? Can you use lime? Well, you can, but the problem is your soil pH is already a little on the high side. And it's, it's on the high side because of the excess sodium. Sodium raises soil pH roughly 4 to 1 compared to calcium. So I, I'm lo just looking very quickly at your soil test, and I see a range of like 6.3 to the low 8s for, for soil pH. So if it's me, am I going to add lime? No. I would try to get gypsum. And the reason why I say gypsum is your, your calcium to magnesium ratio, you're, you're, it, it's not, let's call it overly high right now. There's a fair amount of magnesium in that soil that also can raise the pH and prevent real great drainage. So by getting a little more calcium out there, that's absolutely going to help. But the other thing is you need that sulfur. You need that sulfate, in fact, to bind with the sodium to form sodium sulfate and turn the sodium into a salt so it can leach away. Your cation exchange capacity, it looks like it's around 14, 15, something like that. So it's not like overly heavy soil. And yeah, you might have some spots where you need to put some tile in or something like that. Uh, but then that would allow this to flush out over time. Uh, Kelly, we got to take a quick break. Uh, when we come back, I'll finish answering your question. Stay tuned. There's a new kind of crop protection in your territory, and it's always on the hunt. Howler Fungicide unleashes multiple modes of action for proven, broad-spectrum protection against soil-borne and foliar diseases. Start protecting your territory at agbiome.com howler. Get an extra semi-load out of your grain bin. The end zone from Farm Shop MFG can increase your stored beans moisture from 10 to 13%. On a 20,000 bushel bin, that's a free extra semi-load. Visit farmshopmfg.com for more. 
Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. Pentair Hypro Ultra Low Drift Nozzles are your ideal choice for the Enlist E3 herbicide system. With coverage comparable to flat fans and with 90% less drift, ULD nozzles meet all required standards for Enlist applications and provide optimal performance of contact herbicides. Learn more at pentair.com slash hypro. It's planting season. Race against the clock season. Mistakes can't happen season. And no one helps you face it all like John Deere. Putting technology in your hands that gets you in and out of the field faster. That makes your spacing and depth more accurate. And that gives you the confidence that this season will be your best season. See what you have to gain at johndeere.com slash gain ground. It takes balance to be successful in farming because what you get out of it depends on what you put in. And Corteva AgriScience gets that. Introducing Nutricia and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer, a biological product that naturally captures nitrogen from the air. It's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach to nitrogen management this season by visiting Corteva.us. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here, live in the Morton studio. Right before the break, we were talking with Kelly from out in western North Dakota, who's got a challenge because his soil now has high sodium, and he believes that a lot of that is coming out of the irrigation water. I agree with that. Uh, he sent some, well, he sent tissue tests, soil tests, and water quality tests, and you can see right in the water quality test that there is high sodium. So he first asked, all right, what do I do for the soil, and is there some kind of amendment that could help? And I, I said, well, gypsum can because it's calcium and sulfur, and you need both. Having the sulfur in there gives you sulfate in the gypsum to bind with the sodium to form sodium sulfate. That's a salt, and salts are leachable. So by natural rainfall and irrigation water, you will push the salts down in the soil if you have good drainage. So where tiles needed, and granted this isn't super heavy soil, I'd call it a medium textured soil, 14, 15 CEC, something like that. Um, you probably don't need lots of tile, but you probably need at least a little bit. Now the good news with all this is when you have irrigation and you're in control of the water, that's generally speaking the biggest yield limiting factor in western North Dakota for normal crops. So hopefully you're able to get some good yields moving forward. But when I when I look at the other things on your soil tests, I see, well, the, the phosphorus in my book is a little bit low. We're talking 20, 30, 40, something like that. So if it's me, I'm probably fertilizing with a little more phosphorus. Potassium's a little low. We're two to four, three and a half, I'd call it, percent base saturation, potassium. So that's a little on the low side. Copper's a little low, boron's low. Uh, zinc's a little on the low side, so I would be continuing to to work on all those nutrients. But the fact is, when you have 8 to 12% sodium in your soil, yields are going to continue to get limited. So you got to look at what can you do long term to fix this problem. Um, since you're going to need that irrigation water, I mean, the first thing I will always tell people is, and I know you're not going to like this answer, but can you go deeper? Can you go deeper with your well? Can you find better quality water? 
because without that, I don't know exactly what what we're going to do here, Kelly. So that's that's my concern moving forward is we can work on the soil and, and work on the nutrients and all the other stuff, but we get we got to fix the, the root cause of the problem here, and that's just there's so much sodium coming up in that water. So. Yep. Yep, I agree. Yeah. So, so any thoughts on that? I mean, is it possible? Have you have you had anybody check? Can you go deeper? Can you find better water? Is there anything that could be done? We're we're investigating uh, that, uh, but for for keeping on topic with with the question at hand, you know, I, yep. I was thinking about doing uh, gypsum in the fall and then elemental sulfur in the spring because I know I need microbial activity and, and I know, uh, you know, your, your comments before, you know, North Dakota, we're, you know, frozen five months out of the year. So, <laughs> yep. uh, so that, those were some of my thoughts. So I was wondering about, you know, rates and, and sources for getting that because what I'm talking about isn't very common in Western North Dakota to, my knowledge anyway okay there there are some of these power plants that will have gypsum uh there are uh just across the border over into montana they've got some sugar beets and there should be some sugar beet lime i would assume but um you know there that's probably why people will talk lime quite often but there are some gypsum sources around and that's that that's what i would check on first and i know it could get a little bit costly but i prefer the gypsum because it looks to me like you need just a little bit of calcium and you definitely need the sulfur. The challenge with the elemental sulfur, it's like you say, you got to have bacterial activity. You have to have decent drainage. And my concern is with as high as your sodium level is, that's limiting your bacterial activity. And it's going to slow the conversion of that elemental sulfur over to the sulfate. So I'd probably lean toward gypsum. You could certainly try a little bit of elemental sulfur, but I, I mean, it's expensive and I just, I wouldn't get carried away with that. But my suggestion is I would try some gypsum. I'd try a ton. I'd also try just a little bit, uh, add a couple tons to the acre. I, I wouldn't get super carried away because we got to make sure we have good drainage and this stuff is going to start to move and everything first. But um, at least adding a bunch of gypsum out there I think is going to do you some good. But again, I just want to go back to we long term, we got to start working on trying to figure out what can we do to reduce that sodium that's in the water or get a different water source. Yeah, I I, I totally agree. And, um, you know, I uh, when we first embarked on this irrigation you know, project, I, I think we probably could have done some more homework about, you know, what does the SAR mean? Uh, certainly we were... We we're told that you know it was you know sustainable irrigation water, and now we're in our ninth year using the pivots, and and we're looking at you know another tiling project and the income yeah. that you know, the investment that would be yep. in that. And I think had we known that up front, we probably would have done something a little bit different to yeah. avoid this particular headache, or at least not stumble upon it. Yeah, it, it's always challenging. It seems like almost every venture you get into, believe me, we've tried all kinds of stuff over the years. Um, everybody tells you all the good side, but then it's up to you to kind of learn the downside, and then you have to deal with it. And so anyway, I, I mean, I, I still think there there's certainly hope for you for the future with this. It's not like I'm tremendously worried, but I mean, if you can just 
get get a different i mean even going a lot of times guys they'll just go deeper with their well out there or whatever so i just check into that if you can get that down then hopefully moving forward I know we can get this gypsum problem solved because your soil isn't super heavy. You have plenty of water to put on. We just have to have a low sodium water source to put on, and then we can get her taken care of. And in three to five years, you're going to go, oh, okay, well, now we're really heading in the right direction. Things are getting good, and, and we should be in good shape. So, so you're you're talking a, a ton. I was thinking about uh, a half a ton to 1,200 pounds. Sure. Per acre applied in the fall, incorporated with a tandem disc. Yep. Right, we're going to be doing some ripping okay. on the ground. Sure. And then in the spring, I was thinking about 200 pounds of elemental sulfur. I was going to source my gypsum from perhaps a, a it was a former drywall yep. company yep. in Wyoming, and yep. then I was going to try to get some elemental sulfur from like. Keg River in like Canada. Yeah, the, something like that? the I don't know. sure. The big thing I'll tell you with elemental sulfur, there are a lot of different grades of that, and make sure you get a sample first, put it in like a mason jar or something. That's what we do with water, and then you shake it around and just see over the next few days or week or two if it fully dissolves. So we've got some that's still in our office here, and I think it was two and a half years ago we brought some elemental sulfur in. And uh, some, somebody was trying to sell us some stuff, and we're like, well, we'll just test it out first. It still sounds like rocks when we shake that jar around two and a half years later. So obviously it didn't break down very well. you got to have stuff that dissolves well in water. That's the number one thing. Okay. If I send that in for testing at a major lab in the United States, is that some kind of metric I can uh, test that? If there is, I don't know of anybody of anybody that does that. We've just basically gone old school, and we just put it in jars with water, and then we shake it around a little bit and just see how it dissolves over a few days, and kind of go from there. But yeah, as for as for your plan, I'm I'm fine with your plan, but I would suggest you try some different rates, do some strips or something like that, and just see if you see any difference. I mean, use it as uh, a little bit of a test lab and just say, okay, well, this is what I want to do, what I, I think I want to do on everything, but try some higher rate stuff, try some lower rate stuff, and just see if you do see any difference. So then that maybe helps you moving forward. Yeah. Well, thanks a bunch, Brian. This is really enlightening because my plan at the beginning of this was I was going to put down 10 tons of that lime and then elemental sulfur and sort of make my own little gypsum project. But that seem to be not the right way to go about it. So well, you, I mean, good. yeah, you certainly can do that. We have done some of that before. It just gets really costly. So I, I, I you can run the numbers <laughs> on that, but I, I mean, I, I'm trying to make money on my farm and um, I, hear I, you, I, I don't think that I want to do that unless all of a sudden the elemental sulfur prices price crashes and i don't think that's going to happen anytime soon hey kelly we get a run but uh thanks for the call good luck out there and let us know how you turn out after a while you bet thanks brian yep thank you all right coming up right after this we're going to get back to our main topic of the day that's when is the best time to buy fertilizer we'll talk about that right after this What's new from New Farm? Longbow EC Herbicide, the latest in our portfolio of versatile weed management tools, gives you another carfentrazone option, taking aim at more than 60 broadleaf weed species. And did we mention economical? 
Longbow EC's low use rate makes it a flexible tank mix partner with most burned down non-selective herbicides. Ask your dealer for Longbow EC, available for fall. Your schedule can change by the minute, making it hard to stay on top of the latest agronomy information. But at Ag PhD, we have some good news for you. If you miss an episode of Ag PhD TV or radio, you can catch up at agphd.com. With years of valuable content and the latest episodes available to stream for free, you can continue building your agronomic knowledge on any schedule. While you're there, don't forget to check for upcoming Ag PhD events and workshops. Watch, listen, and learn at agphd.com. AgroLiquid is precision crop nutrition. That means being committed to product performance, to research and field testing, and to superior agronomics. Most of all, AgroLiquid is committed to delivering precisely the right nutrition in the right way, including seed-safe planter plus side dress applications and foliar applications with low burn risk. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Early does it. Strong early season defenses against seedling insects and soil diseases are key to a successful season. The leader in Inferro Solutions, FMC, helps protect your fields from the start with a growing portfolio of Inferro innovations. You can't predict the future, but you can plant for it. Visit your FMC retailer or inferro.ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow label directions for use. Every week for more than two decades, Ag PhD TV has provided agronomic information to make your farm more productive and profitable. In each episode, we discuss a wide range of topics covering everything from crop fertility, promoting soil health, improving the environment, pest control, and more. All designed to help you push your farm to higher yield goals and more profitability. Be sure to catch us on Tuesdays and Saturdays on RFD TV. Check your local listings or visit agphd.com to learn more. Growing up on the farm, I woke up as early as mom and dad. I put as many hours on the tractor, changed as many teeth on the tiller as my brothers. It doesn't matter if you're young or old, man or woman. When there's work to be done, you put your boots on and you do it. I do that on my farm and in my job at Case IH. My name is Kelsey, I'm a farmer, and I work for Case IH. Case IH, built by farmers. Thanks for listening today to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty, broadcasting from the Morton Studio. We're going to talk a little today about fertilizer, when's the best time to buy, and just some more things that are going on in the industry in regards to fertilizer. First on the show, we've got, or next on the show, I should say, we got Galen Beer. He's with AgriLiquid. Galen, thanks for hanging on through that uh, that last segment there. Had a lot of questions out in North Dakota about soils. <laughs> Yeah, no, no problem. Those sodium issues are tough to solve. We deal with those some in Oklahoma. Never fun to try and figure out that solution. All right, so we're, we're just talking about today, or our main topic today is, when's the best time to buy fertilizer? And it, 
the last couple of years have been a little frustrating for a lot of us as farmers because fertilizer prices have gone up a lot. And so people are just wondering, all right, is there a, a way I can save some money by buying early? Should I buy in season? I mean, what do you usually tell people in terms of, as a general statement, and I realize you, no one knows from one year to the next, but usually when is the best time that a, fer- a farmer should buy his fertilizer? Well, Brian, you know, typically the best time or the cheapest price, I should say, is about this time of year. Fertilizer goes through a natural reset. Demand has subsided. Inventories are being refilled. So, you know, suppliers have to incentivize that early commitment. So you usually get the best prices. Um, As you know, there there are a lot of geopolitical issues going on that can upset the apple cart there. But typically speaking, this is the best price. So how about liquid fertilizer? So your company deals with liquid fertilizer, and a lot of people, they understand storing dry fertilizer. Granted, that can be a little bit of a challenge too, but let's say a farmer wants to buy liquid fertilizer right now, and then he's going to store it. Do you have any big uh, tips, any watchouts, anything like that for a farmer? Well, uh, obviously, know your containment rules. You don't want to get in hot water with the state. Usually at the farm level, they're fairly lenient versus someone that's selling fertilizer. The other thing is, is some suppliers like us, we recognize that as a cost and that there is risk to storing fertilizer. So we have some cost share programs uh, for tanks. And I do always, while I mentioned earlier that this time of year is usually the best price, I always do encourage farmers to look at their own situation because price is one aspect of that ownership cost, but you're also going to affect your cash flow and some other things. So do evaluate all that, but we do have uh, on-farm storage programs where we will help offset the cost of that asset. And, uh, and, and, you know, that can make it a little bit more palatable and offset a little of that early season commitment. So, Galen, anything else that you wanted to talk about today in regards to fertilizer or anything you wanted farmers to know as we head into the end of the 2022 season and moving into planning for 2023? Well, I mean, I I think, you know, everything you and Darren talk about every day, soil test. I mean, you know, fertilizer is expensive, so let's get an inventory of what we've got out there and then start making that that decision on, okay, the price is good. Can I withstand this in my cash flow? Is there storage risk? Will my, you know, farm insurance cover that if something happens to the tank? And so those would be the things I would advise guys to look at. But step one is is know what you're going to need to purchase, uh, and that can be done through that soil test. One last question I've got for you. What's the outlook right now for supply on fertilizer as we head into this fall and going into next winter and spring? I mean, are, are you thinking supplies are going to be pretty good, or, or what, what thoughts do you have just about supply in general? Yeah, supplies by and large are good right now. Uh, I think the thing that I see being the tightest are uh, is potassium. I think that one could be a little bit tight, and guys can offset that by maybe doing a little bit better, a little bit lower dry spread in the fall, and supplementing that with some side dress, you know, some potassium at side dress and things. Yeah. Phosphorus and nitrogen, while still fairly expensive, right now the supplies appear pretty good in that. The micronutrients right now have resolved themselves to a degree. The one thing is, is all it takes is, is that, 
that word shortage and all of a sudden there's a run on it and it's almost uh you know self-perpetuating when it comes to those sorts of things yeah the last 18 months or so have been a little challenging on the farm and i i've been surprised too that we've had some issues where we couldn't get a hold of the fertilizer product we wanted right at the exact time and i think as an industry we've been a little spoiled we've had so much inventory sitting around you could have anything any day any time price was great but uh anyway it's just been a little bit tougher so we'll see how long it takes to get back to normal we've been talking with galen beer he's with agri-liquid galen thanks a lot for the time today really appreciate it hey no problem appreciate you having me on thank you Next on the show, we got Gary Schnitke with us. He is with University of Illinois. Gary, how are you today? I am well. I am well. It's a nice day here in central Illinois, and it's pretty pretty moderate for the day for August. Yeah, um, we had been going through a real hot spell where we're at, and now the temperatures are down just a little bit. So it makes me think about fall, and when I think about fall, I think about spreading fertilizer. So our, our topic today was really when is the best time to buy fertilizer, but I'm going to assume that you're in about the same camp most others are. We don't know with all the turmoil going on in the world, could things go up, could they go down? What are you advising farmers right now on when to buy their fertilizer? Yeah, there is a lot of turmoil in in the world. So as we're looking at that turmoil, there really hasn't been a year like this in the past. So we don't have good analogous years to look at. We have seen here in Illinois and probably elsewhere as well some some moderation actually in nitrogen prices here 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 recently. Yep. We've and, and and we can uh, price uh, uh, anhydrous ammonia in the high eleven hundred dollar range or eleven fifty to uh, twelve hundred dollars, which is a very high price at least compared to last year, <laughs> but it is down from from, from from highs earlier. Sure. Um, given given you know sort of. What we traditionally see is relationships between corn prices, natural gas prices, and anhydrous ammonia prices. That's about in line, and I, I guess I wouldn't expect much more moderation than the uh, anhydrous ammonia prices until we see either corn prices come down and natural gas prices come down. And meet. Corn prices coming down is probably not a, not a good thing that we, we, we would like to see at this point. Okay, so, so so as you say that, yeah, so as you say that, if a farmer is hoping to wait and fertilizer prices are going to come down, the odds are, what you're telling me, is they're probably not going to come down unless the corn price comes down. So what, what we've typically done is told people, all right, look, if you want to buy fertilizer before, I mean, just way early like this, that's fine, but you might consider selling some of your crop for 2023 then because those two things usually do go pretty well. And the worst thing would be buying high price fertilizer. Then the corn market goes down and now you don't get as much for your crop. I, I mean, is do you talk to farmers quite a bit about that type of thing too? No, that that's actually excellent advice. And if you're beginning to, to price fertilizer now, and they will be at much higher prices than you did last year. Yeah. Also price some of that corn. Um, and corn in particular, all those soybeans as well. Both corn and soybean prices for fall 2023, at least right now, are are still holding in there pretty well. They are. And so, um, 
um, you know, pricing some of those, the, those as you make the fertilizer purchase is an excellent idea. So one of the strategies you might think about is spreading some of the sales, spreading fertilizer purchases, and also then spreading um, spreading some of your um, uh, sales of 2023 crop. Risk management. Great tips from Gary Schnitke from the University of Illinois. Gary, thanks a lot for the time today. Appreciate having you on the show. Hope to talk to you again soon. Very good. Yeah, when it comes to fertilizer purchases it my my dad talked to me often growing up about just overall risk management and when you're going to buy at let's call it the high end of the range then you probably better hedge some things just in case things were to come down on that uh, on on the commodity side we we, we just want to make sure that we're locking in some profit if we're going to buy high price fertilizer we'll talk more about that right after this you're listening to ag phd radio The value of your farm building is in its ability to protect what's stored inside. That's why Morton Buildings ensures that every machine storage and insulated workshop we build will provide superior strength and durability. As a 100% employee-owned company, we're all committed to being the industry leader with a focus on innovation, service, quality, and most importantly, customer satisfaction. To get started on your next project, please visit mortonbuildings.com. Don't turn your fertilizer application plan into a guessing game. Understand exactly how much fertility you need to reach your yield goals with the AgPHD Fertilizer Removal App. Simply enter your crop and your yield goal and the AgPHD Fertilizer Removal App calculates the amount of nutrition needed to keep your crop healthy and working for you. Quit playing guessing games with your fertility needs. Download the AgPHD Fertilizer Removal App today. Available on the Apple App Store and in Google Play. At Corteva AgriScience, we want to keep farms healthy and productive, today and tomorrow. That's why we're investing in a robust pipeline of naturally derived biologicals. Meet Nutrition and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer. It's a sustainable nitrogen fixation product that facilitates crop growth and optimizes yield potential. With the fluctuation in fertilizer prices, Nutrition N is a reliable solution. It can be used alongside your traditional nitrogen program to enhance your ROI this year. For more information, visit Corteva.us. When it comes to your tillage equipment, stop compromising and start doing more in one pass. New from McFarland Ag, the Insight 5200 with an independent blade configuration lets you get more done in less time. Ideal for rocky or sticky soil, the 5200 has two sets of independently mounted blades adjustable up to 12 degrees, a unique chopping reel, and five different finishing attachments, giving you the perfect seedbed. Learn more about the Insight 5200 by visiting McFarlandAg.com today. AgPHD has one mission, to give you the knowledge you need to make your farm more successful. That's why every issue of the AgPHD Insider Magazine features crop fertility and pest management tips, insights into the world's highest yielding farmers, updates and results from our in-field research trials, as well as the latest agronomy information from Brian and Darren Hefty. We put it all in one place so you can make your farm more productive and profitable. Subscribe to the AgPHD Insider at agphdinsider.com. When it comes to mites in your field, you can't afford a solution that might work. That's why there's Zeal Pro Miticide from Valent USA. 
With next level knockdown and long residual control, you can be sure to handle spider mites at all stages of life with complete certainty. With efficient translaminar activity, apply by ground or air, and confidently attack mites where they are. Make ZealPro the definitive answer to your mite problem. Visit valent.com slash zealpro to learn more. Always read and follow label instructions. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty live in the Morton studio talking today a little about fertility. Next on the show, we got Jamie Patton with us. He is from the University of Wisconsin. Jamie, how are you today? I'm doing great. Oh, Thanks so much. And he, sorry, as soon as <laughs> no I said problem. that, I, as soon as I said that, I'm like, no, I didn't mean to say he. Sorry. <laughs> it's it's, no, it's been a long it's been it. a long day. Anyway. <laughs> All right, so we're talking fertility a little bit. Uh, what kind of questions are you getting right now from farmers and agronomists in general, and just what are your thoughts on the overall fertilizer market? Are we at the low now? Should farmers buy now, or should they wait? And that's a actually, that's a great question. So looking up here in, in Wisconsin, a lot of the questions are, you know, thinking about next year so we have a nutrient management planning uh, regulation and so we're looking at taking those soil tests and planning for the next year whether or not we should buy those fertilizers oftentimes when we look at many of the co-ops particularly as you move farther north in the state sometimes we're not allowed to prepay so our supply has been fairly limited our diversity of products has been fairly limited this year so that supply is starting to open up so if guys are able to prepay oftentimes they're, they're looking ahead to lock in those prices so that we can really plan ahead for next year as to what our rotation might look like and how we're going to utilize our manure effectively. Tell me a little bit about that can't prepay thing. There are just some of the co-ops that won't accept any prepay on fertilizer? Particularly last year. So because we're so far north, oftentimes we weren't getting that supply up here. And so that we're just finally being able to get some of the more, uh, some of the products and so there's still some hesitation as to what the what 2023 might look like and whether or not prepay is going to be an option for us. Yeah, we've run into the same thing as we've talked to ag chemical companies when retailers can't lock in a price until the product shows up at the door. Well, it's kind of right. hard to pre-sell then. <laughs> so, uh, okay, now I understand. Uh, so in in terms of like what's going on around the world with Russia, Ukraine and and supplies and shipments and everything else, I, I mean, how concerned are you as we head into 2023? Do you think things are going to start to improve or does it still look really questionable? I think it still is a little bit questionable, um, particularly as we look at, at least in in this state, and I can speak mostly for the state of Wisconsin, and we're really still shuffling what our rotations might look like. We're looking at those commodity prices. Uh, We had a lot of wheat this year, so are we going to keep those acres come into the coming year, even though prices are coming down, uh, making sure that we have enough forage supply. So when we look at our, our dairy production, milk prices are still staying fairly high, um, but obviously with input prices, our margins are still fairly low. So really strategizing for us, we're looking at that local market. Much of what I work with goes into feed, so making sure that I can make the dairies profitable um, and looking at all my feed alternatives. As you mentioned, the dairies and all the livestock that is in Wisconsin, is it a high percentage of the fertility that's applied in in Wisconsin, is it coming from manure and compost and and, and that kind of thing, or is it still commercial fertilizer? It really depends upon where you're at in the state, Brian. So I'm up in the northeast, so up near the Green Bay area. We have a large concentration of cows up here, so much of our fertility is coming from dairy manure, dairy compost. 
Um, we have some beef production. But as you move towards the southern part of the state, um, we're moving more towards row crop production. And so now we're looking a little little heavier rely on that commercial fertilizer. And that's why the difference in looking at prices and availability of product as well. How about any shift in terms of fall nitrogen to spring? A lot of people have been talking about that. A lot of farmers I've, I've, I work with have switched their fall applications to spring. Are you seeing that in Wisconsin as well? And that's what I, I assume that would be a question you would ask me. So <laughs> when we look when we look at uh, Wisconsin, so our soils oftentimes are of coarser texture. So I actually yeah. have very little fall commercial nitrogen going on. Um, we are looking at that more of that spring application this year. Um, looking at uh, you know, and as guys were strategizing how we can most effectively use that, and we actually moved a lot more from pre-plant to that side dress application. Yep. So really waiting and trying to strategize how is my growing season. And um, looking, and can I cut back? Where can I cut back nitrogen? So again, we're going to focus mostly on those spring and or early summer applications. Yeah, that's what I did last year on our our farm. We had almost twenty five hundred acres of corn, and I just thought, man, I don't need that much nitrogen, so I'm just going to chance it, and I'm going to wait until right. side dress, hoping that the price will come down because usually it does, but it didn't come down yep. nearly as much as I was hoping it was going to this <laughs> year. But I guess you know you're, we were just we were taking a chance. So I mean, do you think that a farmer should be doing that, or we, just like uh, right before the break, we were talking about? well, maybe you should just buy some nitrogen now and then start to sell some of 2023's crop. I mean, what what's your overall suggestion? And so that's where, that actually, that's, not something I usually think about as a nutrient management planner. I'm really focused on, I don't focus on how, how to sell the crop. I'm really focusing <laughs> on how to utilize those nutrients because yep. so, that takes a crystal ball that I just don't have. So um, looking at nutrient management planning, anytime we can lock in prices, like I said, and if, if we're not uncertain as to whether that price is going up and down, making sure that we can plan ahead and look at, you know, what is my cost of production um, for guys who that, that, that is a concern, um, locking those prices in now. For those who have a little more flexibility, the cash flow that allows for, for you know, some hedging on maybe the prices will come down. We may not prepay and or buy those ahead. So it, it really does matter here. And we're looking, we're still in drought conditions in many parts of the state. Yep. And so for those, for those individuals who are, are really wondering if, if last year or next year is going to look like last year and this year where they're still in, in D1 um, conditions, you know, maybe we will hold off just because if this pattern continues, we may not need nitro- as much nitrogen at all. I couldn't agree with you more. That's well said, Jamie. We on our farm the last two falls when we've gone out and soil tested, we went, wow, we have a lot of nitrogen left. So that mm-hmm. saved us a lot of money. And I'm, I'm thankful that we at least tested. So soil testing is just so critical, even for nitrogen sometimes, especially coming out of drought. Well, again, we've been talking with Jamie Patton. She is with University of Wisconsin. (laughs) I really appreciate the time today, Jamie. It was great stuff. No problem. Thank you, Brian. You bet. All right. I also mentioned earlier in the show that we talked just a little bit about fertility and efficiency of use and how you spend those dollars. So I was telling you also earlier in the show that yesterday and the day before, I was doing a bunch of meetings with different uh, farm groups, and we talked fertility. And I just said, I mean, we could talk all day about fertility, but 
I, I want you to think about this. If you don't have good soil tests, then you don't really know how to spend those dollars. So if you've been doing composite testing, you've been doing great big grids or great big zones, I just encourage you at least try a field or two of small grids or small zones. We do one acre grids on our farm. And I'm not saying you have to do that. I'm not saying you have to do that every year or anything like that. But I would tell you, when we first started doing one-acre grids, my eyes got opened very quickly because I found that prior to that, we were doing a lot of five-acre grids or even 10-acre zones. But within those grids or zones, we had more variability than I realized. And so we had done some let's call it dumb things in the past where it in effect over limed we'd over or under fertilize because we just didn't realize the variability within those larger grids or zones and when fertilizer is at its all-time high price or near then you got to start taking a look at okay what can we do to keep the cost down overall and what can we do to get the most efficiency out of it because it's one thing to say well we're going to cut fertility fertility and fertilizer and we got to cut that expense. But I, I, I just always encourage you, focus on the return on investment. What my dad always told me was, he said, Brian, it's great to make cuts and you got to take a look at expenses and everything else, but just make sure you don't cut stuff that's making you money. And if you don't test your soil, then we don't really know for sure, well, what can we cut and what should we not cut? So we look at soil tests, Darren and I do, pretty much every day. I had a farmer bring me some soil tests just a couple of days ago. I was looking at it, and I go, ooh, you're short here. You're short here. You got to have this. You're short here. And then I got to phosphorus, and I said, whoa, you got all kinds of phosphorus. I I mean, I wouldn't spend a dollar on phosphorus this year if this is what you have for a level everywhere. And he said, yep, pretty much. And I go, well, save your money in the phosphorus. Spend it on these other things. And it would be, I would think about it a little differently if everything was dirt cheap and I go, well, just keep loading that up and keep loading that up. But right now, I think we just need to be a little bit more efficient and dial that in a little bit closer. Okay, we're going to get to the Ag PhD mailbag right after this. And if you'd like to call into the show, the number is 844-44-AG-PHD. Stay tuned. Compromise is nice. If you're at the playground or scouring yard sales. But farmers know better that middle grounds have no winner. That's why there's Revitech fungicide. Fast-acting and long-lasting. Preventative and curative. Disease control and stress reduction. So leave the settling to little Tommy at the seesaw, an old bargain bill. And take your full prize in yields with Revitech fungicide for uncompromised performance. Always read and follow label directions. Your schedule can change by the minute, making it hard to stay on top of the latest agronomy information. But at Ag PhD, we have some good news for you. If you miss an episode of Ag PhD TV or radio, you can catch up at agphd.com. With years of valuable content and latest episodes available to stream for free, you can continue building your agronomic knowledge on any schedule. While you're there, don't forget to check for upcoming Ag PhD events and workshops. Watch, listen, and learn at agphd.com. What if your herbicide was easy to mix and tough for weeds to resist? Anthem Flex Herbicide from FMC offers the most effective mode of action for spring and winter wheat, delivering long-lasting control of grasses and broadleaf weeds, including Italian ryegrass, rat-tail fescue, and downy brome. 
Plus, weeds typically resistant to glyphosate and Group 1 and Group 2 herbicides. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. When it comes to mites in your field, you can't afford a solution that might work. That's why there's Zeopro Miticide from Valent USA. With next-level knockdown and long residual control, you can be sure to handle spider mites at all stages of life with complete certainty. With efficient translaminar activity, apply by ground or air, and confidently attack mites where they are. Make ZealPro the definitive answer to your mite problem. Visit valent.com slash zealpro to learn more. Always read and follow label instructions. Every week for more than two decades, AgPhD TV has provided agronomic information to make your farm more productive and profitable. In each episode, we discuss a wide range of topics covering everything from crop fertility, promoting soil health, improving the environment, pest control, and more. All designed to help you push your farm to higher yield goals and more profitability. Be sure to catch us on Tuesdays and Saturdays on RFD TV. Check your local listings or visit agphd.com to learn more. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty, broadcasting from the Morton studio today, talking fertility. And we're going to jump to the phone lines again. we got Nathan calling in from Missouri with a fertility question. Nathan, how are you today? Good. How are you guys doing? Excellent. So I hear you wanted to ask about anhydrous and dry fertilizer and, and both of those on your farm. Yeah, if I can make sense of the terminology here. Sure. Like, for example, the, I believe they're called like the Montag system. Yep. Where you can, while you're doing your anhydrous, if I understand this right, you also have the dry box on there mm-hmm. that injects it into the ground. Yeah, we have a machine that'll do to know, that too. Yep. Okay. Well, if you don't, like we do auto steer, but we don't have like RTK and stuff. Mm-hmm. Would a person still benefit from that versus like broadcasting your P and K? Yes. Uh, okay, so when we banned fertility, then when we're talking P and K, we are usually gaining something. In other words, you can get by with a little less fertilizer and still get the same yield. But I, I, I mean, I'm not suggesting we cut fertilizer rates a whole lot or anything like that. But I am saying when you banned it, then the odds are the plant has a much better chance to find it. Because what plants, I, I often say this to people, Plant roots and just plants in general, they're not smart, okay? They can't just magically know where the fertility is in the soil. What they do is they just send a bunch of roots out, and they're growing in and basically taking the path of least resistance. When they find fertility, then they proliferate right there. So we've had demonstrations where we actually show this behind glass and everything. But uh, when it's in a band, then they have the much, a much better chance to find more of that fertility. When it comes to nitrogen, you'll gain a little bit, maybe 5 or 10%, but no real big deal. With the P and K, it's often 30 or 35% is what a lot of the research has shown, and we've kind of proven that out on our own farm as well. But the problem and the concern that I have here is you mentioned you have auto steer. 
but you don't have RTK. When you don't yep. have RTK, you're you're going to be going one side to the other, and it, it as long as you can follow pretty close. So it, it, when we first started doing strip till, we found that if we're within about four or five inches of where that band is, we were still getting almost a hundred percent yield. But if we get too far off, then we start to lose. So I, I'd, I'd just be a little concerned about that. But as long as you can follow that that path pretty well, you should be in pretty good shape. Okay. Well, I appreciate that. You bet. Yeah. Thanks Thank for you. the call. Yep. Yeah, we actually first started experimenting with an anhydrous dry fertilizer rig. This is almost 15 years ago. We still own that. And it uh, works quite well. So I, I really don't have any issue with that if somebody wants to do it. Okay, it is time now for the Ag PhD Mailbag. It's the mailbag! All right, first question here comes from Petey, who says, uh, you mentioned Bear's research budget being $7 million per day. It's actually a lot more than that. It's about $17 million. Uh, so, uh, yeah, Petey, I, it must have been Darren talking about that. I don't remember that I ever said that they were doing $7 million a day. Uh, yeah, when, when you, I look at the information that you sent me, according to that, uh, it is $17 million per day, and it has been more than that. A, a lot of these companies, they do tremendous amounts of research. And I, I, I guess I just... It's a lot of money. It's so much money. And and so for both Darren and me, we've been to a lot of the research facilities of many of these major companies around the, the country and even in some around the world. And it's it's pretty impressive. Uh, PD also says here, I had a question a few weeks ago, uh, but you haven't given me any answer yet. How deep is your mailbag? <laughs> Well, Petey, uh, at certain times of the year, it gets pretty deep. And uh, our sister Janelle is producing the show for us today. So like today, she just printed out all the questions that had come in on email. So we have them right here and we can physically see them instead of having to sort through our email or anything. And uh, yeah, there's a lot of questions sitting in front of me. So unfortunately, I'm not going to be able to get to all of them today. Uh, So I did find your question from a couple of weeks ago. And here's my concern. I don't have your soil tests. It says, please take a look at these soil tests. And I don't have them. So if you could send us the attachment that I assume you meant to send, we will try to get to your question a lot quicker this time. All right. So my brother Darren's joining us now too. Uh, Darren, real quick, before we get to any any more of these questions, I just wanted to see, you've been over in South Central Minnesota today. Is there anything that you saw, uh, whether it was corn or beans or any crop or anything that you heard that is noteworthy today? Well, I would say this. Uh, get out in your soybean fields right now. If you see any plant that is dying, ask a lot of questions because today we got talking about things that look like sudden death syndrome that really aren't sudden death syndrome. Like what? And there's several things that looks the same. For example, brown stem rot looks very similar with the foliar symptoms to what sudden death syndrome looks like. And there's a new issue, red crown rot, that also looks very similar. And oftentimes on sudden death syndrome plants, you'll see uh, little blue chunks on the roots, red crown rot. You may see some orangish red uh, things growing on the root. And with brown stem rot, a lot of times when you split the stem open, you may see brown up through the pith of the plant. Uh, there, there, there are a few things that can help you differentiate, but you have to get out in the field and look. You aren't going to figure that out if you aren't out there keeping an eye on things. All right. 
Let's get back to the Ag PhD mailbag here. So this question, and I don't have a name on this one, but anyway, uh, they called and left a message, and they said, all right, I raise rye in a no-till situation. I want to keep the straw in the field. I'm just wondering, to break down that residue, is there anything I can spray on it to break it down faster? What do you got, Darren? Well, to break residue down, you have to think about this. You've got a high carbon material and you need microbiology to break things down. So you can add microbes with products like decomp. You can add some more nitrogen to adjust that carbon to nitrogen ratio. That would be a smart thing too. You can do some tillage to kind of incorporate that and, and stir up some soil and some microbes onto those plants. There's a lot of ways to go. Uh, if I wasn't doing tillage, uh, then I would say, you know what, a little bit of nitrogen and some microbes, like something like decomp would be really good. Okay, next one is just a comment. This is from Doug. Back a couple weeks ago, we were talking about somebody brought up goats, and it's kind of interesting. It's just like Darren and I talked, I think, on one show about moldboard plowing a little bit, and oh my goodness, did we get emails in on that. Well, it's the same thing with the goats. <laughs> We've had all kinds of people calling in and, and uh, giving us comments, giving us feedback, sending us emails about goats. Anyway, Doug says, I run half a dozen goats on a small redwood stand. They're great for keeping down the poison oak, brush, and Douglas fir saplings. They're useless in weed control and pastures and next to useless if you're trying to eliminate any particular weed. Will my goats eat thistles? Sure they will. Unfortunately, they eat good pasture to the dirt before they decide to eat the, th the thistle. So that's not real helpful if you're practicing rotational grazing. All right, I had a couple uh, come in, one from Hugh and one from, uh, I don't have a name on this one, but just talking about brace roots. The one says, uh, next time I grow sweet corn, I'm going to try to manually shake some of the plants to see if I can develop more brace roots. The other one uh, just said, uh, previously, I believe there's a statement saying having brace roots above ground is related to not planting deep enough. Uh, but that's not exactly what we said. We talked about the nodal roots. So, Darren, you want to explain the difference between nodal roots and brace roots and where they should be in the plant? Sure. So, when you plant a corn seed, the root systems, the main root systems of the plant are going to come out above the seed. And you're going to get a radical and seminal root that will come out go down but you'll also above that seed you'll get five rings of nodal roots and when I say rings so all the way around that um, that little shoot there's going to be roots that are growing and when we think about that that's pretty cool that you've got all these roots below ground if you plant at the proper depth an inch and a half to two and a half inches deep now let's just say that you planted shallow like you say some of those nodal roots could be above ground. That would be a bad thing. But normally if you plant it deep enough, you're going to have some brace roots that will come out above ground to stabilize the plant, take in a little bit more water and nutrients as well. So, uh, yeah, there's different types of roots on that plant. We'd like those nodal roots to be below the soil for top yield potential. All right. Kevin sent us an email, and we were talking about fallow, and he said, Israelite farmers were instructed to leave the land alone every Sabbath year every seventh year and uh, yeah Kevin both Aaron and I have been to Israel and we did see some farmers who were leaving that ground sit idle every seventh year so anyway uh, 
Before we go today, I just wanted to say thanks to my sister Janelle. She was running the controls for me. Thanks to all our guests we had on, everybody who called or wrote in with questions. We really appreciate you. And thanks to you for listening. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.